Uh, we're digging in. We're going to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and for a second just pray again. I know Brian just prayed, but let's just pray and ask God to, again, to teach us His Word and to make it come alive in our lives real quickly. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, I just I come and I just ask, God, would you, would you guide my words? May I say tonight exactly what you want me to say. May I be true to Scripture and accurate. Maybe be honest with each other in moments when we don't know and don't understand to say, I don't know that answer, I don't understand. But God, at the end of the evening, may we come away knowing your word better and uh, prepared and willing to live your word even tonight for the things that step on our toes. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I believe we are at verse 16. Everybody good with that? Yes? No? Okay. I think I'm ringing a little bit. Am I ringing out there a little bit? Okay. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 16. Uh, here's what it says. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? Anyone, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Okay, so he says, don't you know this yet? Haven't you come to a place where you understood this truth? And that is simply this, that you are God's temple. And that the Holy Spirit, God himself, lives inside of you. Now, if you remember, and if you've been here the last few weeks, we've said, this is a unique moment. This has not always been how God has dealt with man. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, do Old Testament believers have the Holy Spirit? No. Very few. Uh, prophets had the Holy Spirit. Once in a while, a king would have the Holy Spirit. That's the reason you'll read uh, in the book of Psalms, you'll read David saying, at, probably after the sin with Bathsheba, saying, God, please don't take your spirit from me. No Christian in this age would ever have to pray that because once the Spirit's given, you and I have the Spirit. But that was not a promise and that was not a guarantee in the Old Testament. But here Paul's saying, look, look, you get this right. You get that when you become a believer, God immediately places in the life of every single believer His Spirit. And as He does that, if, if that's where the Spirit of God is, then you by virtue of God's presence are God's... What's the word phrase he uses? Temple. Because what is the temple? The residence of God. So he says, if God is living inside of you, then you, by virtue of the fact that God lives in you, are the temple. Which simply means this. There is no place that you go, there is no moment that you live, in which God is not there with you. I don't care how it feels. I, I, don't, I don't care what circumstances you're in and you go, boy, I, I just don't even, you know, it just doesn't even seem like God is here and it seems like God is out of control. God says, no, no, no. God is with you. He resides in you. But here's the other part that I'm just going to toss out for you to consider. And we talked about this a little bit last week. I'm nine years old. My grandma dies. And I spent the next, like, year of my life freaked out. Because now grandma was in heaven, and I was pretty sure she could see everything that I did. 
So every time I got ready to do something that I shouldn't do, I thought, oh my goodness, grandma's going to see me do this. And I couldn't do it. Isn't there a sense as Christians? If God is residing in your life, in other words, there is no place that you can go, there's no action that you can do that God is not there and with you. Shouldn't we feel a little bit that way all the time? Shouldn't we, when we're sitting there watching that TV, go, wow, I I wonder if I should really be watching this show because by virtue of the fact that I am watching this show, I have brought God in front of this TV set with me because he abides in me. It's a couple out on a date and you're in the backseat of a car and things are getting a little hot and a little bothered and I just think at that moment you ought to be asking, you know, with what I'm thinking about doing next, do I really want to do that? If God is with me, if he's in the back seat with us. See, it kind of changes things a little bit if you stop and think about it for a moment. When you're standing there and all of a sudden the lie comes dripping off of your lips, you realize God was there and listened to that moment. I think it's one of the reasons Paul in here says, you, you get this right, you understand what I'm saying. You are the temple of God and God resides in you, which means you and I ought to have a different filter, a different screen, a different way of thinking. It's, it's, it's worse than grandma watching, I think is what he's saying. Okay? So, it's, so back, and then an interesting thing he says, he says, okay, uh, verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? And then he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. All right, so let me ask you some questions. What are some ways in which you and I could potentially destroy the temple? What are some things you and I could do? Because he says, look, don't do this, because if you do this, then God's going to end up spanking you. God's going to respond to you destroying the temple. So what are some things you and I could do to destroy the temple? Yeah, I said drugs. Oh, there you go. Okay, so drugs... Alcohol. Hey, what, what do, what do, when you talk to the average person who's abusing drugs or who is abusing alcohol, what's their number one defense? I'm only hurting. What does this verse say? Yeah, see, this verse says that's not a, that's not a legitimate argument. It's not a legitimate argument because. Even as you say, I'm just hurting myself, you're not just yourself. You are the residence of God. Matter of fact, real, real quick, uh, go with me to just a few passages over. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. Actually, we'll go to verse 18. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Here's what it says. It says, flee sexual immorality. All other sins that a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And then here, here's this phrasing again. Don't you know that you are, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? And ready for this? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Which means there is no Christian, there is no believer who can ever offer excuse. You say, look, look, I'm just hurting myself. You realize it's an absolutely illegitimate argument 
for anybody who has been touched by the saving grace of God. It is, it's, you don't even own yourself anymore. And it is God's residence. It is His home now. And no believer can ever say, look, it's okay, I can do that. I can look at porn because I'm only hurting me. No, you're not. You're the temple of God and you don't belong to yourself. I, I can abuse alcohol and destroy my liver. No, you can't. You can't burn up those brains. You can't do that. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. You have no right to abuse it. I can do drugs. No, you can't. No, you can't. It's not yours. It's his. What are, what are some other ways in which we destroy the temple? Huh? Um, I don't know. We said anger is what we said. I don't, I don't know that that... You know, it's surely an unspiritual thing to do. I just don't know that it's a destructive thing to the temple, to the physical temple. Your language. Your language. See... <laughs> It's sin, don't get me wrong. It's sin, I just don't know if it's destroying the temple. You get what I'm saying? In other words, he seems to be talking about our physical bodies. Yeah, but don't me wrong. I'm not saying it's not sin. I'm just saying I'm not sure you're destroying the temple. Okay, so where are we at? Uh, I was going to say indulging in food. Okay, I think, I think gluttony, especially if, if you get to the point. Now, this one's hard for me to write because I'm a little overweight right now. So... Um, stress eater. Um, but you know, I think there is a point when you eat and you go, you know what? I, I have, I am carrying around enough weight that it is not healthy for me anymore. And I, I need to be a better steward than that. What else? Is tattoos one? Um, you know, I, I can't get there spiritually. I don't, I don't, you know, personally, I mean, I don't have a tattoo on me. And um, that's probably just because I'm afraid that when I get older and have stretch marks, it'll look pretty gross. But um, I, I don't know that that's destructive, you know, for the temple there. I, I'd have a hard time going there. I'm not going to, I don't plan to ever have one, um, but I, I don't think that's necessarily wrong. Okay. We had just read it, sexual immorality. Yeah, sexual immorality. Um, and that one's a little interesting in the discussion that we're having because you can go and have sex with someone... And you and I don't necessarily think about that and say, well, what got destroyed in my body, right? I mean, what got harmed in my body? We've had this discussion a couple times in church. Anybody remember what, or have any answer what maybe, maybe would be the answer to that one? Because it doesn't seem to necessarily have physical consequence to it, right? You understand what I'm saying? Like, gluttony would or like uh, abusing alcohol would or abusing drugs would or maybe cutting myself you know cutting might do why, why do you think maybe sexual immorality is listed as destroying the temple uh, mentally mentally good guess probably not okay um I was going to say um, lack of sleep and uh, lack of sleep. your resistance get down low. So, so having that... sex causes lack of sleep. No, oh, was, you're on to the next thing. I was on okay, all right. Thing. All right. I don't know the answer. All to right. Sorry. Okay. So you, yeah, you just skipped over that one, didn't you? Okay. I think uh, sexual immorality is counted as a sin against the temple of God uh, because you know virginity was something which was really highly esteemed long time ago. So when you have sex, 
uh, before marriage or before what God intended, you basically break off that bond of virginity, which is a physical thing which you can see with your eyes. So I don't know hmm. whether that's the aspect they okay. are looking at. Okay. So here, interesting, interesting thing, and and, and may have something. You know, she's saying she said, "Hey, look, here's something. It's my body that I'm supposed to keep." Okay, as a promise before the Lord, I'm supposed to keep that for my husband or I'm supposed to keep that for my wife. And now what I've done is, is I have stolen that. I have taken that which was not mine and gave it to those, someone I had no right to give it to physically. And so maybe that's what it's saying when it says this idea of sexual immorality is an abuse of the temple on the deal. Because it wasn't mine to give. And you guys just need to hear me say, and I'm not saying this to condemn anybody in the room. I get it. I get the chances are in this room. The vast majority of us have probably violated this. But the, here's the answer. We didn't have a right to. It, it was wrong when we did. And it's why in our present culture, and you just need to know, we have, we have people come to us all the time and say, hey, uh, you know, we want to be members of the church and we're living together and we haven't gotten married yet. And we just say, you can't. You can't. And they say, well, why not? And I said, because you realize you're living in sin. And they go, no, what do you mean? You're living with your boyfriend. You're living with your girlfriend. You have no right before the Lord to do that. He has no right to touch your body. You have no right to give him your body. Because your body belongs to the Lord. It's his temple. And he says the only time in which you have permission to do that is a wife giving herself to her husband or a husband giving himself to his wife. And there is no other context in which you have the liberty to give yourself physically to anybody under any other circumstance. So in that moment, you're being a thief because it's not your body to give. Okay? I I was going to say suicide. Huh? Suicide. Suicide. I think suicide would come to our list. Anything else we can think of? No? We're good? All right, here we go. A couple more. Uh, Back on the sexual sin, um, STDs came about because of sexual promiscuity. Hey, do you guys realize that that if, if we literally obeyed God's command about sexuality, that AIDS would vanish from the face of the earth in one generation? And don't get me wrong, I'm not some weird guy that says, hey, it's the judgment. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying, do you realize this thing which is so horrific, so devastating, if one generation simply said, we'll follow God for one generation and obey in this issue, it'd be gone. That's all I'm saying. Okay? What about anorexia? Anorexia. Okay. Hey, you know what? I, I think, I, and, I, and I, I don't want to make light of this because I get that this is a... Uh, a big deal, and then of course uh, bulimia. All right, help me out. B. How are you going to spell bulimia? One L. Look at that. I. E. Okay, there you go. I had to go to college to be able to do that. Okay, so um, and actually seminary too. Um, I get that these are real struggles, but but here's what I would say to any young lady in this room who has this struggle. You get that in the midst of the self-rejection that goes along with those issues in your life, 
that somewhere you're going to have to balance this out with what God just said. And God just said, your body is his temple. It's his temple. And if you're self-rejecting, if you're sitting there going, boy, my body is horrible and it's this and that, you realize you're rejecting the temple of God, the residence of God. You need to consider that. You need to consider what you're saying about God's temple. It's, it's not a good answer. Okay? Yeah. What about plastic surgery? Plastic surgery. Here's, here, is, here is my best on it, okay? And so this is one of those moments I get to call time out and go, wow. Because Scripture, of course, wasn't dealing with this. Nobody, nobody was doing this at the time that Scripture is being written. So here's my dilemma. Uh, you and I have all seen kids with cleft lips. I don't think there's a one person in this room who says, hey, look, that's the way God made you. You have to stay that way live with your cleft lip. I, I think all of us would probably say, no, no, no. Go ahead, be corrective, do that. So now you get into all sorts of shades of gray because someone says, well, hey, you know, I just happen to be born with whatever and, and, you know, my belly expands twice as fast as anybody else's belly. So, you know, I'm going to get liposuction or, you know, whatever those issues are. All the way to what I would call self-rejection. And you're, you're, really, you're really in a moment condemning what God has created. You're condemning the way that God has made you. And so here's, here's my dilemma in the thing. I, here's what I know for sure. I know that when you and I get to the point of self-rejection and I am doing any type of cosmetic surgery because I'm saying what God did is ugly and wrong and I am, I'm just going to fix God's mistake in me, you're mistaken. And it, it's a horrible answer to do to be on that end of things the flip side of it is if, if you can go there and do that and say this is not about rejecting what god has done with me this is not an indictment on my heavenly father okay i think any christian though has to do a huge amount of self-reflection and a huge amount of consideration before they do it and here's the, I'm just going to be bold tonight and say this out loud. Part of it is because probably the number one procedure is, we're worried about is breast implants, you know, as we talk about this. And I'm just going to say out loud to you ladies before you go do that, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying before you go do that, I think you've got to ask yourself very, very, very clearly, who am I trying to impress and what type of reaction am I trying to get by doing this? Okay? I, I think you've got to answer those questions deeply and profoundly and honestly for yourself. I, I just do. Because there are implications to that answer. One of the things, one of the things that Scripture says to you and me is, is that you and I are not to defraud one another. And defraud simply means this. I'm not to promise things that I cannot righteously fulfill. That's defrauding someone. And I think you've got to be careful as a young lady that says, hey, I'm going to go get breast implants because I want every single man in the world to have a visceral reaction to me and to those implants. 
that you go, okay, so at what point do you now begin to make promises or do you begin to elicit responses in men that you have no desire to righteously fulfill? And if that's the reason you're doing it, if you're doing it so that you can get that visceral response from men. See, it's, it's the passage in Scripture that says, be very, very careful about braiding your hair. Remember this passage? And about putting on makeup. And it's not saying, hey, putting on makeup is wrong. And it's not saying braiding your hair is wrong. It's saying, be very, very careful as a lady be, that you don't spend so much attending to the outside of your body that you don't care about the quality of your inside. Because at the end of the day, ladies, I'm just going to say this to you very honestly. You want a man attracted to you for who you are and not for the display of your physical attributes. Because here's the thing. I don't care how much cosmetic surgery you get. There's a point where the knife cannot keep up with nature. Okay? And if that man loves you for the display of the outwardness of your body, you will lose that battle. You will lose that war. Okay? It is, a, it, is a, it is an unwinnable contest at the end of the day. You want the man who loves you for you at the end of the day. And so Scripture says be very, very careful. That, that, and, and, and ladies, I get this because you live in a culture where over and over and over again on TV and over and over again on magazines, women are portrayed that their worth has to do with their measurements. And I'm just going to tell you it's a lie of the enemy and it is wrong, and it is vile. And please tell me that the daughters of God don't buy the lie. Which doesn't mean on the other side, I'm just going to tell you, as, as a husband whose wife takes good care of herself, thank you, Lisa, for taking good care of yourself. I appreciate all of it. I really, really do. But that's not my acceptance of her. And don't you dare settle for a man who accepts you for how you are on the outside and not who you are on the inside. So all that to say, all that rambling to say, be careful, be careful, be careful as you go down that road that your motives are right, that what you're doing is not to get inappropriate attention from men. Be sure you're not condemning God's creation in you. If you can do all those things with a clean heart, then I'm I'm not going to throw a rock. But be careful, be careful, be careful when you start down that road because all those pitfalls are there. Okay? Does that make sense? Sort of? Okay. Yep. So when he says that anyone who destroys God's temple will be destroyed, what does that mean for a believer who might not be able to overcome something like this and it, and it kills him? Give me, give me a better example. Give me a more concrete example of what you're saying. Well, somebody's addicted to drugs and they, and they come to Christ and maybe have some sort of a relapse. They can't yeah. get over it and they overdose and die. Right. So what's, what's the question of that? What is that? I mean, are they still saved? What does oh, it sure. mean by that they will be destroyed if they destroy God's yeah. temple? I, I think what you're talking about there when he's saying, hey, this person's going to be destroyed in the deal, is that he says, look, God's, if you keep doing this, God's going to keep spanking you. And I believe at the end of the day that it's, when, when Scripture talks about God's relationship with us, it's almost always the relationship of a father to children, okay? And dads, you'll get this. How many times have you had to look your children in the eye and basically have this conversation? If you keep doing that... I will spank you harder. And at the end of the day, here's what you just need to understand. 
I will win. So all we're debating now is the amount of pain you want to self-inflict, right? And I believe that's really the conversations God's having here. He's saying, look, if you as a believer put your life on a course where you're saying, I'm going to keep abusing the temple of God, I'm going to keep being part of these habits, I'm going to keep ignoring this in my life, that God's answer is, look, I will respond, I will spank you over this, my spankings will become greater, they will be bigger, and at the end, I will win this argument. I will. Even if, you ready for this? Even if it means, at the end, I just take you home. I just go, look, we're done arguing this, you get to come to heaven, okay, and be with me, you know, kind of kind of a believer's timeout, okay? You, we're, that's what we're going to do, because I'm, I'm done arguing with you on this situation. I, some of you guys have heard me say, I, my youth pastor, the guy that, probably one of the most significant spiritual guys in my life, went haywire on God, ended up being a homosexual prostitute. Uh, he died of AIDS. I, I believe to this day that was God saying, because Wayne was one of these guys, when he was serving God, man, when he was on fire for God, he was one of the best Christians I've ever met. When he was off fire for God, he was one of the best heathens I've ever met. He's just horrible on the other side. And I believe at the end of the day, God just said, Wayne, we're done. We're done. We're, we're done with a life that just keeps doing this. Just come on home. This is getting embarrassing for me. It's getting brutal on you. Come on home. You know, and I think that's what this, I'll, I'll even take you to death if I have to in this argument. Okay. Great question. Yep. Oh. Uh, we just wanted to know what verse that uh, the braid hair makeup thing. Are you swear? I was doing really good, just uh, blew through it. Um, maybe just tell us what book it's in, and then maybe we can go find it ourselves. I am almost positive it's in Corinthians. I was going to say chapter 7, but I'm not seeing it there. All right. Anybody else remembering where it is? Oh, good. Googling it. There you go. Yeah, it doesn't sound right, but maybe. First Timothy. Timothy. That would sound maybe better. First Timothy two nine. All right, let's pop over real quick, see if it's there. There we go. First Timothy two nine. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds. You see what he's saying? He's saying, hey, look, look, look. Isn't it interesting that 2,000 years ago, the same pressure was on women that's on women today? Impress a man. And he's saying, ladies, please, look, look, look. And he's not saying don't look good. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, ladies, don't fall into the trap that you get so caught up in how you look that that's all you've got to offer because that's all you've worked on. And you spend so much time braiding your hair and putting the pearls on and all that. that how many people have met the woman? Okay, none, how many people have met the woman? She looks darn good on the outside, but boy, you meet her personality and it's... It's just... Wah. Come on, we've met the woman, right? Okay, all right. That's what he's saying. He's saying, ladies, if you're not careful within the culture, you'll spend, you'll spend more time picking shoes than reading Scripture. Enough said. All right, I'm getting in trouble. All right. Okay. Yep. What, a, what about divorce? 
What about what about divorce? Would that would that be violating the temple? You took an oath to God. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I would categorize that as violating the temple. It's surely violating the command of God. I just don't know that it would apply to this passage of violating the temple. Just a quickie. Yep. Um, the distinction of living with somebody before you're married. Yep. Being a disqualifier for becoming a member of the church versus the other things listed. Yeah. What is the distinction of that between the others that disqualifies you? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the reality is is that if you're living in in open, um, definitive sin in front of people, you probably don't need to be a member of a church. Okay, so. The difference, the difference potentially with, let's say, I know somebody has lied once, or I know somebody's lied a couple times. Um, it doesn't necessarily a lifestyle make, okay? And what I can do, okay, so let's say, let's say I lie to you, and or maybe I even struggle with this. And I say, I, I, I struggle with exaggeration to the point of being dishonest, of being a lie. Does that make sense? And you've caught me in this a couple times. But what I can do is I can say, you know what, I'm sorry, and I, I get it, you're right, I lied, and I, you know, I'm going to try not to do that. So at least I'm bringing, are you ready, for, works worthy of repentance. So at least you see me denouncing that, saying, look, I'm going to try to stop doing that. I may not get immediate victory over it, but at least I've displayed to you, look, this is an area of my life I'm trying to be obedient to Christ in. Does that make sense? If I'm living with somebody outside of marriage, then guess what I get up every single day saying? I don't give a royal flip what Scripture says. I'm going to do this anyways. That's what I'm saying. And when I drive home that night to go back home to that person, then I say, I don't give a royal flip what Scripture says. I'm going to do this anyways. So it's a sin of meditation, premeditation. In other words, I have said, I know what it is, and I'm not going to try to be in obedience to it. I am willingly going to be in disobedience to this particular thing. So I think anytime you've got a believer who's living in known, willing disobedience, and it's premeditated, in other words, it's not, hey, I, um, I got into a situation, things got really, really tough, and yeah, I exaggerated, or a lie slipped out of my mouth. I was watching TV, and I... All of a sudden, they came on with bikinis, and I started thinking things I shouldn't have thought. That's not, I sat down and premeditated. Now, the difference is, if you tell me, I'm going on the internet every night and looking at pornography, and I'm just telling you, I'm going to do it tomorrow night too. Well, you don't belong being a member of the church. You don't, because what you've just told me is, I am going to willingly and knowingly and premeditatedly live in disobedience to God. Well, that's good. Do that. Just don't do that as a member of the church. Don't live in willing, knowing, premeditated disobedience to God and ask to be a member of the church. Does that make sense? The distinction there? Okay. Because how many people in this room are perfect? Any of us? Okay. So that's not the qualification for church membership and being part. The qualification is, I hope that everybody else, if I said, how many here are striving to live in obedience to Christ? Okay. Then we're all right. Which means you can't raise your hand if I say to you, are you living in an area of your life that you just basically say, I know I'm in disobedience, I know Scripture says this is wrong, and I'm going to do it anyways. 
And I'm going to tell you, that's, guys, you need to hear, that's a big deal. Stop and think about that. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what the request of Christ is this, and I choose to live in constant disobedience to that request. That's a big deal, guys. That, when you take that stance, whether that's living with somebody or make the list. God asked me to serve, and I just said, no, I'll never serve. That's constant premeditated disobedience to Scripture, isn't it? That's, that's, a, that's a huge decision in your life to be consistently disobedient to the request of Christ. Right? Okay. All right. So here's what I'm going to say, and I'm just going to... You've heard us every once in a while say, guys, there's a danger in going to Bible study and getting a lot of Bible knowledge and not having Bible application. It's this danger. It's this danger that you would know what you're supposed to do. To him that knows to do right and does not do it, what does Scripture say? It is sin. And the danger is is that you and I walk in here and learn something that we're supposed to be doing in obedience to Christ and we just say, I don't give a... I don't care. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave here and live that area of my life in perpetual disobedience to Jesus. I don't, I'm not going to do it. And you just need to hear, guys, as a follower of Christ, to make that decision, I know what Jesus asked and I simply refuse to obey. That's a big decision. That is, that is a trajectory-changing decision about your walk with Christ, to live in knowing and continuous disobedience. To what he's asked. It's a big deal. That's a big rejection. At that moment. Every one of us has to live and say. Look I'm not perfect. And and I know that I don't have my life. In 100% subjection to Christ. I know I'm not doing this. But I am striving. I am striving to bring my life. In obedience in all areas. To my Lord. Because you ready for this? Because he is my Lord. Okay. Um, back to uh, divorce. Okay. Um, you're one flesh when you're when you yeah. become in marriage. And question I have is that one of the uh, points in the Bible states that the only really way you can get out of a marriage is if you are with a non-believer, and that non-believer releases you. So, if if it isn't a violation of the temple, why would the scripture, de- you know, delineate that saying that it, it is acceptable? If you were with an, a non-believer, because that is, to me, that is a, is is the temple that that there was not a temple if you were with a non-believer. So I'm just trying to understand why you wouldn't call a marriage a temple. Um. Yeah, I just I I don't know that I can. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely believe the scripture is. Crystal clear says there's really two reasons for divorce. Uh, one is is that an unbeliever refuses to be with the believer, and so the under the unbeliever abandons the relationship. Scripture seems to be pretty clear says the believer is not bound in that situation. The other is is marital infidelity. So someone's gone out and physically violated the marriage, violated this physical covenant, and now the believer is um, free. I think you could probably make an okay case. I'm not telling you you're wrong because Scripture says this and it says, look, if a person divorces their wife and it's not for biblical reasons, 
and then that wife goes out and remarries, he causes her to commit adultery, Scripture says. Right? So I think you've got at least an argument to say, well, then that would be a violation of the temple because sexual sin is a violation of the temple. So however you're going to put it there. What it, I, I, think the, I think the gist at the end of the night and the thing that you and I need to get from this passage of Scripture is simply to say this. My body isn't my body when I'm a believer. And I don't have the right to say, I can do this because I own me. No, you can't. You can't cut. You can't abuse drugs. You can't abuse alcohol. It's not your body to do that with. You can't give this body to your boyfriend. It's not your body to give to your boyfriend. You do not own yourself, your body, once you become a believer. The pink slip passed to your Savior. He bought you with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Okay? So you could probably make a good case. I, I wouldn't argue with you too hard. Okay. Boy, we, 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 we opened a can of worms here, and it's only, it's only a couple of verses. Okay. So I just want to make sure I understand. In the situation of, like, you've committed adultery, and you get divorced, you remarry, and then yet again, now this time your spouse steps out on you. How does that, well, you know what I mean? How does that leave the person who... Okay, well, okay, okay. So you, well, you <laughs> turned a lot of corners for me. All right. So <laughs> a guy or a girl? It was a girl? Yes. And she was married? Yes. Okay. And then what happened? She committed adultery and stepped out on her husband. She committed adultery and stepped out of the marriage. Right. Okay, then what happened? Married the person that she committed She married this with. guy. Okay. Then what happened? Then he cheated on her. Ah. <laughs> was she surprised? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So here's here is here's the answer. Okay, and because we're just going to shoot straight, be honest, and say how it is scripturally, and let the chips fall, right? Okay. When she cheated on her husband, that was sin. I just don't know any other word for it. It was wrong. Okay. And a guy, I'm not saying that to throw anybody under the bus. I'm saying that to say this: until you and I go back and look at the past decisions of our life and just say that was wrong, that was a bad decision. And here's where God wants... God doesn't want us living for the rest of our lives under guilt. What God wants us to do is say, okay, this was wrong. Whoops. When I did this, this was wrong. And given the opportunity to make that decision again, I would not make that decision that way. Okay? So from this day forward, because I'm choosing to follow Christ in my life, if I ever had that decision to make again, because my life is in a different place with Christ now, I will not make that decision a second time. Because this was sin to make that decision at that time. So now she's here, okay? And she's married to this guy. And here's what you need to get. That marriage isn't perpetually wrong. This was wrong. The leaving was what was wrong. The leaving is done. The leaving is over. And now she's married to this guy. And the reality is because what now he has done is violate the covenant. She's free to get that divorce. Okay? Because she now in this position... In this situation is the innocent party. She is the offended party, okay? And she's free to get that divorce. Okay, all right, so we're back there. 
I'm getting off the whole marriage thing. I have a Okay, question. we're going somewhere else. All right. Okay. Um, if we're supposed to accept our bodies as a temple and the way Jesus and the way God uh, had made us, what about Christians and like IVF, in vitro fertilization and, and things like that? If, Christians and what? And um, uh, fertility drugs. Oh, uh, fertility yeah, drugs? like if you were unable to have children on your own and you went outside of that and went to go get help, is that... Something that's looked frowned is that something yeah that's I frowned? you know what I I I don't if, as best I understand I don't think you're talking about a medical condition and and you know whether that's a a, a gal who has a hard time producing an egg um, a guy who's going to take something to help him produce a higher sperm count you're talking about a medical condition and I I just personally I, I think when you're talking about medical conditions I. God gave us doctors. He gave us the wisdom to work with that. I'm still going to bathe that in prayer and say, God, you're bigger than the medic, so you could make that one sperm find the right place, you know, all that stuff. Um, I don't think that's it. I, um, yeah, I, I think if you're dealing with a medical condition in a medical way, I don't, I don't think that's a violation. Yep. At the risk of sounding legalistic about okay. church membership. At the risk. Do you think that it would benefit Cornerstone to have a class that you have to take part in before becoming a member? We do. Sort of. Yeah, we do. And matter of fact, if you take the class, there's actually a list on the back of the thing that says, you're telling us that you're not going to behave this way, and you realize that if you do behave this way, that we would ask you not to be a member after you behave that way. And you sign that together yep so fertility drugs like helping someone to have a higher sperm count etc i guess there's an extreme to everything that mm-hmm. goes sure. along with everything but do you think if that if we don't think that that's necessarily wrong and they would like to have a kid whatever etc but what about the stuff that they can do now with changing eye color with changing the sex of the kid and stuff yeah. is that I guess there's extreme to another, so one can be okay and the other can't be. Right. Okay, so we're back to this again because you just asked me for my opinion because Scripture is silent on this particular topic. Here's my opinion, okay? And so I'm just saying it in the form of my opinion, and I'm asking you, you know, take it as my opinion. I didn't tell you it was Scripture. I, I'm hesitant to cross that line. I would be hesitant to be involved in determining the sex of my child, I'd be, to, I'd be hesitant to be in there trying to pick the eye color for my child. And here's why. We're not now talking about medical conditions. You're talking about designer babies. And, you know, I get to Psalm 139 and it simply says, I was knit together in my mother's womb. That who I am and how God made me and designed me is how God intended me to be, basically. And when I get to something, I'm... I, I'm for me, and guys, this is my opinion, as frivolous as choosing the eye color of my child, I just think I'm messing around playing a little bit of God at that point and not being medical anymore. I don't want to cross. I personally am not going to cross that line. I'm not going to decide if my child's going to be a boy or a girl. I'm going to let God decide that. He knows if he wants me to have a... You know, here's, here's the thing. How many of you guys out there just would go, you know what? That guy needed a daughter. Have you ever thought that to yourself? That guy needed a daughter. Anybody ever thought that? Okay, a couple of you. 
I do that all the time. I look at God and go, you needed a daughter. Um, you know, because I think God in his wisdom gives us the children we need in our lives that kind of balance us out. I think a lot of times as parents, we learn a heck of a lot raising our children and based on the children he gives us and the birth order and stuff. Um, don't you think that in Scripture where it says we're supposed to um, look after the widows and the orphans, that that would be a pretty good pointer if you're not having any success having children you should look to adoption maybe maybe that's god's way of pointing you towards the orphans yeah i've got i've got, here's the thing i've got no problem with a couple wanting to have the child of their own and doing the fertility stuff but yeah i think if you get to the point where you go okay and now medically nothing's happening i believe there may be a point where you go hey well i wonder if this is god saying he gave me this burning desire in my heart to have children i'm not apparently going to have any naturally Maybe this God-given desire for children is because he wanted me to adopt. He wanted me to bring children into my home that if it weren't for me bringing them in my home, we're going to live incredibly destitute, horrible lives of abuse. I'm the rescue. So, yeah, that may be one way in which God's revealing his will for you. Yeah. Okay, we're, oof. okay wow. I, how did we open all these? All right, wow. Okay, in a minute we're going to go back. To, how much? All right. All right. <laughs> Um, Lynn, what about um, when the temple defiles itself by worshiping idols, which really, really made God angry in the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if there would be what I would call a modern-day application of that with my temple and, I don't know, worshiping idols. But, yeah, it was, it was an abuse. All right, last question, then we're going to go back to and we're trying to get another verse or two done tonight. Okay, last question. Okay, so uh, Scripture talks in a couple different places about grieving the Holy Spirit, and yes. I've never kind of really understood the implications of that, but does that dovetail in with defiling the temple, or is that a totally different sin? No, I think that's, I think, I, I think grieving the Holy Spirit can be any, can be multiple types of sin, and, and what it is is that I, I, okay, all right. The best I can get to grieving the Holy Spirit, you and I have, for lack of a better term, a spiritual heart. You can, I, you can call it your conscience if you want, you, whatever you want to call that, but it's our spiritual heart. And what happens is the Holy Spirit convicts, okay? So the Holy Spirit comes and says, look, that was wrong, you shouldn't have done that. When you and I say, and it's like he slices our heart. He gives us, he, 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 doesn't conviction feel a little bit like a slice? You get what I'm saying? In that moment, you and I get a choice. You and I either get to respond to the Spirit and go, God, I get it. I get you asked me not to do that. I get you asked me to repent of that. I get you asked me to get that out of my life right now and start walking differently. That's the right response. And when you and I do that, the incredible thing, the interesting thing that happens is my heart stays tender. Okay? When I have that response of obedience, my heart stays tender. But in that moment, you and I also have the capacity to choose, instead of listening, to reject. What happens on your arm if you get a cut, and now as it heals up, what more often than not happens in your arm? What? A scar. Because here's what your arm is saying. You ready? Here's what your body is saying at that moment. I don't ever want to feel that pain again. So I'm going to put tougher, harder flesh back 
so that I don't feel that or have that cut again. Your spiritual heart does the same thing. And when you reject the Spirit and what the Spirit's saying to your heart, you will grow spiritual scar tissue on your heart. And the next time the Spirit comes to convict you of that, you won't hear it as clearly. And you will not be cut as deeply. And you will not hear it as loudly. And you can build up so much scar tissue in your life through constant disobedience that you begin to get to the point you cannot hear the Spirit. I think that's the best I can understand what it means to grieve this. I have so consistently rejected his voice that I can't hardly hear his voice anymore. And I've grieved him. Okay? Instead of having a soft heart, I've made a scarred heart. Okay, all right, so are we done? Two minutes, all right. Let's try and get at least one more verse so we can say we got something done tonight. All right. Uh, do not deceive yourselves uh, if any one of you, this is verse 18... Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks that he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. What does that mean? What in the world is Scripture saying when it says a Christian should be willing to become a fool so that he can be wise? Um, I think it means that you, the, being a fool to um, worldly wisdom as opposed to uh, godly wisdom. Okay. Every, guys, you need to get this, okay? There is no fence walking on this conversation. There is worldly wisdom. In other words, there is what this world says. This is how you live. This is what you live for. This is what success looks like. This is what accomplishment looks like. This is what fame looks like. This is what getting to the top of the hill looks like. It's worldly wisdom. And guys, if you become a fully devoted follower of Christ you're going to look like an idiot to the world. You are. The world's going to go, are you kidding me? You're serving who? You're giving finances to what? You're... You realize heavenly spiritual wisdom, if you become obedient to that, you're going to look like an idiot to the world. So take that now and go back to what the passage just said. The passage just said, Do not deceive yourselves. Don't kid yourselves. If any one of you thinks that he is wise by the standards of this age, in other words, they are living worldly lives. In other words, they're trying to get to the top of the heap. They're trying to have worldly success. They're trying to do the things that the world is going to applaud. In the, if someone's living their lives as a Christian, but trying to live by the world's applause and the world's standards... Of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. Why would rejecting the world's standards for accomplishment and for getting to the top of the hill, although the world would tell you you're an idiot and crazy for doing it, actually be the wisest thing you could do? We'll finish with this. Why, why, would, why, would, why would rejecting the world's standards and the world's applause be the wisest thing that you can do? Okay, so yell it because they took the microphones away. They're trying to tell me to stop. Okay, so you said it's about realizing not everything is yours that belongs to God. You could get prideful if you had all this. But you know, at the end of the day, who cares? If, I mean, if I can get all that stuff, if my pile's bigger than your pile and I'm proud about it, who cares? I, I accomplished it. I should be able to be proud, right? I mean, why not? 
Yeah. Our priorities are different. But why, why is it wise to have godly priorities and not worldly priorities? Notice he says, he says, this is wise. Okay? He's just saying, this is wise. Why is it wise? Guys, okay, and there's your aunt. Guys, get this. Leave with this. Guys, if, if you and I land this thought in our mind, there is nothing that you and I have, there's nothing that you and I can get in this world that does not pass away. Guys, this is 80 years. And whatever you do, whatever you make, whatever you accomplish, dies with you. I mean, guys, let's just be honest. You're in my life. Everything we accomplish in this earth is like sticking your hand in a bucket of water. And the second you take your hand out, someone else takes your job. Someone else moves in your house. Probably they tear down your house to make a better one. Your car's already in the junkyard being sold for scrap. Guys, if you live for this world, then your entire life is going to mount to a hand being taken out of a bucket of water. 80 years and it's... Scripture says, that 80 years, you ready? The life of man, the Scripture says, is like a vapor. It's like standing over a steam pot trying to catch the steam. And if you spend your life catching the steam, he says, you're dumb. You're dumb. That's why Jesus said, slay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Live for things that are eternal. And guys, once you get this concept, you start saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute, where can I invest my time? In eternal things. Where can I invest my money? In eternal, do I need that big, I don't think I need a big, where can I put my money in eternal things? Because every single thing that I invest in in this world burns up and goes away. And I'm not going to waste one ounce of energy and one ounce of effort more than I have to on this world because I'm not going to let my life be a bucket of water and a hand taken out. I'm going to live for the kingdom. Those things last. And if that's true, just think about this, guys. If it's true that this 80 years is gone and done, it is fools who live for these 80 years. And it is wise people who live for eternal. Now, if we're wrong, if Jesus isn't who he said he was and it's all a big crock, then give everything to this 80 years. I mean, get everything you can, step on every person's neck, get as far as you can, run everybody over because this is all you got. But if you really believe, if you really believe what Jesus said and there is life after, then you are a fool to live for things you cannot hang on to and will go away. That's crazy. And you're foolish not to invest every penny you can, every hour you can, every investment you can in the kingdom. Wise or fools? Okay, we're done. Took too long. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you. Thank you. Thank you for the questions. Thank you for the discussion tonight. But God, maybe thank you most of all that you challenged us tonight to live what we know to be obedient about, to not be willing to have our life in a place where we say, I know what Jesus has asked, I know what Scripture has required, and I choose to live in knowing and consistent rejection and disobedience to what my Heavenly Father has asked me to do. 
And that God, if some of us in this room find ourselves in that position and and our heart was aching because we said, oh, I know I've wrestled with God about this. I know I have consistently said no about this part of my life. That tonight would be the night they say, look, I just, I I will not live in constant rebellion and constant rejection of my Heavenly Father. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, thank you.